Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing good. Trying to bring in the peace sign from different angles all this week because <laughs> we're doing so many shows. I feel like it could get old, right? Uh, well, it could, except for the incredible content and guests that we've had. And today is no exception, is it? No, no doubt. You know, this is a topic near and dear to my heart, supply chain planning. It's from whence I come, both on the practitioner and the technology provider side. I didn't even think to mention this. We, we may have faced net stock once or twice back in the day. I don't even know as at Blue Ridge. So I don't know. We'll, we'll ask our guests. Yes. I was, I was just waiting for you to let the cat out of the bag and you didn't. You came right to yep. the edge and you didn't. But you know what? As Greg mentions, we are going to be talking a lot about our supply chain workforce, especially those planners across the globe that are sort of critical yeah. to global business. We're, we've got a great conversation teed up as we're diving into the topic, the greater topic of work-life balance and how business leaders can leverage technology to help out their teams, giving them a big breath of fresh air. Uh, and, and so we're going to tackle all of that from a supply chain workforce and get a lot of uh, tips and insights from our friends at NetStock. So stay tuned for that. And Greg, Scott, let me give a little perspective on this yeah, on this role of supply chain planning. So this what is would be a live told. stream without Greg White's perspective, Gregory? Good point. That's an excellent point. <laughs> Maybe not always an excellent perspective, but I'll, that is an excellent point. I, you know, I was told this a long time ago, and that is, as a supply chain planner, or, you know, whatever any any kind of demand forecasting, planning, replenishment, allocation sort of role, there are only three conditions right? You're either overstocked, you're in trouble for being overstocked, you're out of stock, so you're in trouble for being out of stock, right? Or if something happens to go just right, it's thank goodness for the sales team. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It is so true. And meanwhile, the, the planners and, and the rest of the organization are over there making magic happen and oftentimes not getting enough recognition. Is that right? Only blame. Only That's blame. Right. Yeah. So we're in the process as an industry of changing that, that I think in many ways, it's been cool to see over the last, uh, you know, a couple of years, at least from my perspective, the planning function and those incredible people that make it happen, you know, get more recognition and a lot more understanding. And in this case, as we're going to be talking about today, how can we offer these valuable components of the global supply chain ecosystem, a better work-life balance, right? So got to have a better hand, right? I mean, it, it is about the technology and what the technology can do to support the decision-making of the planners. So that's right. Undoubtedly. That's right. And that, you know, it hasn't really been on the people. It's mostly been on the tool set that they've had. In that's the right. Past. All right. So along these lines, folks, I see Jonathan and Catherine, Amanda and Shelly and many others. Hey, we want to hear from you too. So as we have the conversation with our two guests, we'd love for y'all to chime in. We're, we'll, we'll be sharing as many of your comments as we can get to here today. Before we bring on our two Wonderful guests. And, and hey, we've had a good fortune of having a couple of pre-show chats with our two guests today. And I'm telling you, you're going to really enjoy and value their yeah. perspective. But before we do that, 
share a couple of quick program notes today, Greg. Speaking of great guests, we dropped the episode where you and I interviewed the extraordinary Roberto Cannavari, who is essentially yeah. the fearless supply chain leader for Estee Lauder companies. And that yeah. was, he is a dynamo, right? Yeah. Another one of the leaders that we have talked to, practitioners that we have talked to who are so genuine, they can't hide it. <laughs> right. I mean, the authenticity just flows out of them. So Tanya Jackson, you know, obviously Roberto and yesterday Rick, Rick McDonald and more to come. So, you know, That's these right. are the people who are leading the CPG retail distribution manufacturing companies to do and be better in their supply chain practice. And it's to a leader. Every one of them has said that it goes through people. So yep. today, also a great complimentary topic to that discussion. Well said. Perfect point. And folks, to make it easy, I think our team just dropped the link to that episode in the chat. Uh, big thanks to Catherine and Amanda, Chantel, the whole team that helps make the production happen here at Supply Chain Out every day. So y'all check that out. I'm telling you, get ready. Make sure you eat your Wheaties before you listen to Roberto because he brings it. And uh, yeah. I'll tell you, it really makes you inspired, much like today's conversation, to be part of uh, the global supply chain industry at this point in time. Okay, one other quick thing. So anyone that knows us um, knows that we're very passionate about uh, giving forward to our veterans, right? Uh, I've been really pleased to be part of a team that has uh, been all about deeds, not words, as we have found ways to give forward to our veteran community. This is just the latest example. Folks, if you're a military member, if you're a spouse, if you're a military family member, if you're a veteran, you've already served, and you want to find out more about the, the logistics space, maybe start a new career in the logistics space, get networked with folks in this space. Come check us out July 26, 1130 a.m. for a free virtual session. We're going to be talking about current trends. We're going to be talking about transition tips. And we're also going to be talking about health and wellness best practices. So y'all check it out. Then we just dropped the link for that. And we'd love to have you be a part of that. Okay. So, Greg, I'm stoked about today's conversation. You know, if any industry needs some uh, a breath of fresh air into how we as leaders can create a healthier work-life balance, it is certainly global supply chain. And I think we've got the two guests that's going to shed some really cool light and effective light on, on this conversation. Are we ready to bring them in? I'm ready. I am. Are you guys ready? <laughs> Let's do it. I want to welcome in uh, Barry Kukuk president and co-founder of NetStock and Lynn Barnes, director for talent onboarding and culture also at NetStock. Hello, Lynn and Barry. How are we doing today? Doing well. Thank you. Yeah. Good to see you. Good to see you yeah, as well. Welcome aboard. So uh, I mentioned a moment ago, Barry and Lynn, just how much we've enjoyed our pre-show conversations. Love the approach y'all take, not just with this conversation, but uh, when it comes to industry leadership, organizational leadership, and of course, what you're doing is NetStock. And we're going to touch on all of that over the next hour or so. But before we do, Lynn and Barry and Greg, we got to get to the heavy hitting topics, right, Greg? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> got to put something big and controversial out there. That is right. So if anyone knows us and, and our global family here at Supply Chain Out, you know that we love our food, right? Gives us a nice little departure and those little momentary departures from the work that's got to get done. And mac and cheese. 
Today's National Mac and Cheese Day, a legendary staple, at least here in the, in the southern United States, maybe. So I'm going to go around the horn with all the three of y'all and, and folks in the cheap seats. We'd love to get your take here as well. Where have you had the best mac and cheese you've ever put in your mouth? And so I want to start. Lynn, let's start with you. Mac and cheese, where are you going for it? Sure. You know, mac and cheese actually happens to be one of my all-time favorite foods. So I love it everywhere. But I think my favorite all-time was actually just fairly recently at Legal Seafoods in Boston. Okay. And it was lobster mac and cheese. I mean, lobster and mac and cheese together, can it get any better than that? But I suppose if you're a purist, you only want mac and cheese. Right. But I, I threw in the lobster for fun. Oh, I love it, Lynn. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Barry, that's going to be tough to top, but I understand you're a connoisseur of many things. Tell us about mac and cheese. Um, yeah. So, Scott, as you, as you know, I am a South African, born and bred in South Africa, and mac and cheese isn't traditionally a big meal here in, in, in South Africa. Yeah. Um, but last year, I spent three months in, in the States. I spent three months in, in Boston, and I lived in a hotel for three months. And I can tell you for free that after about two and a half months, you are pretty sick of restaurant food, hotel food, or anything like that. <laughs> and uh, one of my colleagues invited me for a, a barbecue to his house. And his, his wife made this amazing mac and cheese with, with bacon bits in it. Oh, just, unfair. Just eating a home-cooked meal and this mac and cheese was divine. So that's the best mac and cheese I've had in my life. Oh, Barry, that sounds delicious. Barry and Lynn, I'll tell you, all brought it today. Both of that sounds delicious. I'm going to see what Greg is thinking when it comes to mac and cheese. Well, Scott, you know I'm a foreigner also. I come from the Midwest, not the Southeast. So I I was not raised eating mac and cheese for craft mac and cheese. But the best mac and cheese I have ever had was a barbecue joint called Dave Poe's in Marietta, Georgia. Okay. The mac and cheese recipe was so Southern Living Magazine actually published in like the early 2000s or late 90s, something like that, the recipe. And now people all over, at least the area, make this delicious three cheese mac and cheese where they used big tube noodles. And oh my gosh, it is by far the best I've ever had, especially with the crusty top. Oh, man. Oh, you're killing me, Greg. You know, Lynn and Barry, I've had a chance, thanks to Greg's recommendation, to take my son to that same that restaurant and have That's it. That's right. And he's not lying. It's delicious. But I must just, in our extended family, where I'm from in Aiken, South Carolina, we have a mac and cheese legend. She is my Aunt Linda. And uh, I tell you, <laughs> growing up, I was I was uh, spoiled because I got to eat some of the best mac and cheese. And the whole family wanted her her recipe, and she's been very generous with it. So, uh, Aunt Linda, if you're listening, uh, I'd not. like it. Yeah, let's, we'll yeah. share. Maybe it gets in some living, but uh, <laughs> yeah. love you and love the mac and cheese. Okay, Greg and Barry and Lynn, really quick, I forgot to do something earlier that we never forget to do, and that's we got we got to welcome folks in from yeah. cheap cheap seats. What am I thinking, Greg? It's okay. Jonathan, it's okay. Yeah, it's out of order, but it happens. You, you got it. It happens sometimes. Jonathan, welcome in via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Great to have you back. I know you've been a part of some of our earlier shows. Of course, we mentioned Catherine. She's tuned in from a uh, the chilly North Georgia mountains. You know, Lynn, we were talking, it's been a bit abnormally cooler here in Georgia here lately. Really? 
It, yeah, it's been uh, yesterday. I don't think it got over 85 degrees, Greg, and humidity has been down. Strange. It's the metaverse. Maybe we're in a different universe uh, this week. Who knows? But <laughs> we're um, our own avatars. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Amanda, appreciate what you and Catherine do every day. Shelly, great to have you back. And yes, Greg is on that Flexport list. And I tell you, with all the goodness he brings, it's coming. What great list is that? Back. I didn't see uh, your list. We'll talk after show. Okay. You're on every list in my book, Greg. You know that. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Jonathan's going back to the point we were talking earlier. He is one of our, our dear planners in global supply chain, and he agrees with us. Kind of uh, too much behind the scenes. We got to give more love to what goes on in the planning function. Clay Phillips, of course, Diesel, always with us. Appreciate what he does. Diesel, because the engine never stops running. Lynn and Barry. <laughs> Let's see. Naja. Naja's weighing in. Uh, Boston has some of the best lobster mac and cheese, which is what Lynn was referring to earlier. I'm with you. Patrick smoked mac and cheese with a touch of brisket. Ooh, man. man. All right. So Patrick, you're there tuned in via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. I'm guessing Texas with the brisket mention, but it Has could be, be. Yeah. Mid, mid South, Midwest, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. Maybe we'll figure it out. Yeah. Maybe so. Hooli is back with us. Hooli had some great comments on yesterday's live stream and many live streams. And then finally, Kenneth. Tuned in via LinkedIn from Dubai. Great to have you here with us, uh, Kenneth. Looking forward to your uh, perspective. Okay, one final comment. I lied. Clay says, Costco mac and cheese tub. It comes cooked, but you put it in a Traeger grill for about 30 minutes to smoke. Wowee. Okay, you learn something new every day. So Clay's dad is a Traeger master. I really? Mean, this guy can make anything in a Traeger grill, and it does make it be better. Okay. Yeah, it's we'll, fantastic. We'll, we'll have a grilling episode. Maybe we'll grab Barry and we talk different whiskeys and it's all things, all culinary. So we'll, we'll save that for a future episode. Okay. So Lynn and Barry, now that we've really made everybody hungry here today, I want right. to get into, get into our center plate discussion. Yes, pun intended. I want to start by level setting a bit and want to get both of y'all to weigh in on what we're seeing uh, in this global workforce environment. And Lynn, I'm going to start with you. What, what are some of your observations out there today? Well, it's definitely been an interesting last couple of years, hasn't it? Going mm, into our third yeah. year of, of a pandemic, and which really changed the face of everything. There was that little thing called the Great Resignation. Right. Mm. Where, you know, more than 4 million people voluntarily left their roles because they just realized it they weren't doing, they didn't like what they were doing. They did, They wanted to do something different. Lots of different reasons for leaving. But I think what happened is I think employers started to realize that employees now had a bit of an upper hand and they started to see staff shortages because employees were leaving, which of course created more pressure on those that were still left behind. Right. And employees were leaving for reasons that were, you know, really important flexibility is huge. They, 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 they enjoyed not being in an office any longer. They enjoyed being able to go to their kids' baseball game uh, or soccer match, whatever it may be. They didn't like the culture. It's, it's very surprising to me how many new employees I have onboarded. Right. And when I asked them about why they left their former company, they didn't like the culture. Mm. It was mm -hmm. huge. It's a huge number. So Pay is always important, but it's not as important as you might think. Although mm. with our current economy, that may change this year as well. 
Right. Yeah. Certainly with, with inflation being what it is, we need to look at, you know, what we're doing for raises and em- employee salaries in general. And, you know, software is always a big part of it. Making employees lives easier, you know, less duplication, less, you know, redundancy uh, software can do those kinds of things. And that's where hopefully NetStock comes in, in the supply chain world. Right. To make right. things better for employees. Lynn, I tell you, as an opening salvo, you have brought it. There's so many great points there. I, I love, even though you acknowledge the inflation, the impact that can have on the overall employment equation, still in the bigger picture, you know, that's just one of many parts of that equation, right? So Barry, I tell you, Lynn set a high bar. Barry, what, what else are you seeing uh, when it comes to the current workforce environment? You know, Scott, you, you started with saying global um, and you know, we've seen this great resignation in, in the States, but not necessarily everywhere else. And, and we're lucky because we are a, a global company and we can see trends in, in different places. And, you know, for example, in South Africa, unemployment is pretty high. It's just the environment we, we are in. And we've seen a lot of companies, not just Medstock, but other, other companies, you know, people I speak to, where um, they've replaced people from the States with South Africans or with Australians or, or so on, um, because, you know, those, those people need a job. And suddenly after the pandemic, everyone realized that remote working is possible. And so, you know, you can now outsource or, or, or you know, to take your works workforce to a different place. Right. Um, and you don't necessarily have to have them even, even in the States. I mean, Silicon Valley, half the people are now living, you know, in rural areas and still doing their job. So um, I think that's been a big one. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, Greg, I want to get your take here in just a second, but I want to close the loop on a couple of things. Jonathan uh, tuned in from Louisiana. Gosh, talk about culinary legends down there. So Jonathan, thank you for sharing. I think this is Timothy Tang, mac and cheese with ranch and spicy herbs. Hey, uh, this new one for me. Thanks for joining. Ranch. Hmm. Yeah. How about that? You know you're in America when we put ranch dressing on. <laughs> That's it, right, ranch anything. <laughs> Patrick tuned in from Columbus, Ohio, great part of the world, not too far from where they hosted Supply Chain 360, that great event a couple weeks back. Justin Wilson, crab mac and cheese. There, uh, how about that? And Clay That's my says, favorite, yeah. Shout out to Papa Steve to your point. So Clay, we got a we, Steve's a legend as well. I get him and Aunt Linda together. We've got quite a uh, quite a meal. But Greg, back to workforce as we're using yeah. this as a way of setting the table for today's conversation. Lynn and Barry have shared some of their observations. Your your quick take, and then take us right into where we're going next with our panel here. Yeah, I think global is is the key word there because we do see dramatically different situations. Though in the Americas generally, we're seeing about the same thing as we are in the states recession, inflation, you know, a lot of companies are backing up on employment. You know, remember the the old days, gang, when people would accept a job and then not show up on the first day and not worry about that? Well, that's coming back on them a little bit Mm. because now companies are rescinding job offers. So it's a a very difficult environment. And yet, keeping, getting and retaining the best candidates out there is still as tough as it's ever been, right? And, and I think that's something we have to acknowledge. And, you know, companies are, they're struggling to get and motivate and elevate and retain the, the best candidates out there. So, and, and I know you all see that 
on a worldwide basis. So I'm curious, you know, what what are you seeing in, in terms of how companies are impacted or being or impacting or being impacted by that? Barry, you want to tackle that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what, what we've seen is that I think Scott said it earlier, the, the employees suddenly have a bit of an upper hand. And after the pandemic, the companies who still hang on to the old ways and try to dictate how people should work and when they should work and, and so on are struggling. Mm. Um, I think if you can be a little bit more flexible and understand that, yeah, not everyone needs to sit in an office, you know, half the time. I'll give you an example. We, we this big company here in, in Johannesburg and kind of at the end of, of lockdowns, they said, okay, what we'll do is on half the people come in on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays and the other half come in on, you know, Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. And, you know, so we still social distance, but at least people are back in the office. Well, guess what happened? People who are in the office are on a Zoom meeting because the rest of the <laughs> colleagues are at home. And tomorrow, yeah. it's the other way around. So, and, and people were saying, why, why are we doing this? There's no point. Either we all come or we all stay at home. But there's no point sitting in the office on a Zoom. And I'd rather be, you know, at home in my, in my pajamas in a Zoom, you know. So... So definitely, I think if, if, the, if you're not flexible, you're going to struggle to retain talent. Unquestionably. I mean, I, I think about how many people I have heard say, in fact, I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday. He said, I don't want to commute three days a week to the office, right? I think, yeah. Lynn, in addition to all the things you talked about that people don't want in their workplace, a commute which in the Atlanta area is an average of 34 miles one way. Mm. So in about three and a half hours, it feels like of some days. Anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Anywhere from, I mean, Scott, our, our studio in Atlanta is 19 is uh, no, it's 26 miles from my house and it can be anywhere from 40, 40 minutes to, you know, an hour and a half, which Lynn always makes Scott sweat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because he's like, is he showing up? <laughs> so I always tried to be there way before we needed to go on the air. But uh, so, uh, as you you have observed, Lynn, I'm curious what kind of struggles you're seeing companies have in that regard. Well, what I was going to say also is, is you're preaching to the choir in Southern California. Try try a drive into Los Angeles. That's uh, right. Yeah. So I, I completely understand the traffic part of it. But, you know, companies are just not taking employee retention as seriously as they should. And hmm. what needs to happen more is they need to invest in their employees. Hmm. Yes, it's important to invest in marketing and in sales. No doubt. Those are important. But you've got to invest in your employees as well. If you don't have, if you haven't, if you haven't done that, then you will not retain your employees. Mm. And, you know, that includes uh, different things from making sure that they have the training that they need and the growth opportunities. It, it, it's just so hugely important and it doesn't seem to always happen. They, they, they say they're going to do it, but what do they put in place? Mm. And they don't often put things in place. And uh, that's, that's why I'm at NetStock is to make sure that we try and keep our employees happy. Onboarding is a perfect example. That's one of the reasons I was brought on board. And if you mm. don't onboard an employee properly, you, you stand to lose them very, very quickly and easily. Yep. You start out behind the eight ball. 
right? I mean, correct. It's hard to get them in, integrated and engaged if if you don't correct. give them the lay of the land. Yeah, that's a great, that's a fantastic initiative. And I, you're right. I think a lot of companies think that cute little package with your laptop and a T-shirt and whatever else you get on day one. There's your orientation right there, yeah. right? Exactly. That's your onboarding. Well, so let's talk a little bit more specifically around supply chain, Salesforce, and you may have seen the intro. I have a special place in my heart for people in the planning practice because they are often and historically abused, but they provide so much value and curious in this world with new technologies and new approaches to planning. And of course, in this new employment environment, what are you seeing specifically in that demand planning, supply planning, SNOP, all of those areas that you all touch in regard to um, employment there. Barry, you want to start us off? Yeah, um, I think you said in, earlier that the, the poor person doing the supply chain planning or replenishment is always getting shouted at. Either sales are shouting at them because they don't have the right inventory to, to sell and, and you know it's their fault that the, the sales guys don't make their targets. Right. Or the CFO is shouting at them because you've got all these millions of dollars tied up in inventory that's just sitting there not moving, um, you know. Or the CEO is shouting at them, and they're just sitting in the middle and 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 you know fighting fires all day, and it's very yeah. very tough for them to do that. And you know, with the events of the last two years, it's just become ten times worse than what it used to be, and you know. One of our one of our colleagues always says that you will give Salesforce to your to your sales guys. You would give an ERP system to your uh, your accounting guys, and then it comes to the supply chain manager, and you give him Excel. <laughs> you know, exactly right. And I'm gonna steal that, goes, Barry. I'm gonna steal yeah. that. That is great. Yeah. Just the tone with which he said it, Scott, is yeah, is critical. Right? You know, you know, you need best. You you need the best tools because face you know face the facts. Um, supply chain and especially inventory is the heart of that kind of business. You know, without yeah. that, the business doesn't exist. But you 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 just think, oh well, we we don't really need to equip these people. So. So we we see those those guys really under pressure, and you know it's our mission to to help them and, and improve their lives. That's great. I think there's a couple things in addition to suboptimal tool sets, which is putting that kindly. I think you nailed it. Spreadsheets or whatever, or the ERP min max system or whatever. You know, right, right, right. But I think it's it's not just it's not just that, but it's also the infrastructure, the uh, data and information that's required. And, and then so many companies focus on only the forecast, not the also the risk planning and the resiliency planning that is necessary in demand planning as well. So yeah, that's a great that's a great catch, Lynn. What I mean when you think about it, you have to have a special caring specifically in your role for these folks because you, you're doing it for the same same kind of situation in your own company but tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in that environment well you know i think fortunately at netstock we don't have probably the same pressures that the the other folks that are doing this job specifically you know we talked a little bit before we got on the show about the ships that are down as i look out 
beyond Pacific Coast Highway for miles and miles and miles. I can't right. imagine a person who's doing this job waiting for supplies, waiting for, you know, the delays just have to be killing them. And so it's really up to the HR people and, and their managers to, to be on top of what's going on in their lives and making sure that they have the tools that they need to survive and to get through this. And it's not over with yet. We've, we've right. got a ways to go. And yeah. hopefully, you know, they truly need to make sure that work-life balance is there and that they have the tools they need. Excellent. Tools point. are critical. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. That's right. As, as is, or as are, whatever, whatever my subject verb agreement means, leaders <laughs> that truly care and want to take real action and do something about it. Right. You look at a lot of third party data, burnout is a real thing. Folks, these last few years have really stressed folks out in the supply chain in a variety of functions within the supply chain. And we're seeing it's one of the drivers of some of the turnover. So the onus is on leadership to do something about it in a very meaningful way. So really quick, I want to welcome in uh, Harshita has tuned in from Toronto. Uh, folks, if you ever get this, when you make a comment, it's just a little security setting on your LinkedIn profile. You can toggle it and it'll allow third-party apps like StreamYard to share your name and, and location and all. So uh, great to have you with us here, Harshita. And from Ontario, Kadri is tuned in. Uh, Kadri, great to have you here via LinkedIn. Patrick, I think Patrick's referencing your Excel your spreadsheet observation there. He loves it. And it is a harsh truth for all things supply chain. Amen. Uh, Patrick, great to have you here today. Okay. I want to keep driving. I want to get into, you know, we, we've kind of framed some of the challenges a good bit, both in general with what's going on. And then with the last segment, really focused on supply chain and the planning function. Uh, Lynn, I want to get into some of the ways that you're seeing some of those, those proven best practices. Greg hates that term, but some of the things that you've seen that works when companies really want to promote a healthy work-life balance. What are some of those things, Lynn? You know, probably one of the number one things that comes to my mind is encouraging health and wellness, but making sure that our executives as well, the, the, the berries of the world are also walking that walk. Mm. It's real easy to say, and, and Barry is a workaholic, a self-described workaholic. And so trying to get, he truly is, love the guy and he's and that's why net stocks where it's at but trying to get the guy to take a vacation isn't always easy to do mm. and so as i'm trying to promote health and wellness and taking time and taking care of yourself i've got folks that are reporting to different folks at the top that are saying well he doesn't do it you know what i'm saying they, they don't feel comfortable if their own boss doesn't do it so walk the walk yeah. get involved with your employees talk to them see where they're coming from you know, having good health yeah. benefits, great. That's important. Having a, uh, a employee assistance plan so that their mental health can be taken care of as well. Hugely important. Do fun things. We, we pay for our employees to get together because we're fully remote. There are no offices at NetStock. We're fully remote. We pay for our employees to get together for lunch. We pay their lunch whenever mm. they want to get together that they can, those that are close by. So, you know, we encourage everything that we possibly can from uh, virtual happy hours to uh, walkathons, anything to get them outside and breathing and enjoying that work life balance. Mm. Mm. So, love it. A lot of, yeah, I do too. A lot of goodness there, Lynn, and a big dose of reality there, you know. All right. So, Barry. I think a lot of founders and, and fellow entrepreneurs and, and folks in the, in the startup environment can, I for one, I know Greg can, can feel your pain, right? Because you always feel this immense pressure 
that you got to be doing something because there's so much to do, so much to be done. But with that aside, I'm trying, I'm trying to I'm trying to help rationalize your workaholicness, Barry. <laughs> but tell us, what else do you have you seen that works in addition to what Lynn has shared? Yeah, so, so in my defense, I did take a week island holiday about a, a month ago. So after a big project, and what's important there is I I got to the hotel, I put my phone into the safe, and seven ah. days later took it out. Right, and no Genius. laptop. My my wife wouldn't allow me the laptop. So so I think your your partner outside your company is probably your biggest ally in in terms of getting work life balance. But it's important because. You know, it's uh, easy to work 12 hours a day or 14 hours a day or, or whatever stupid hours you, you you do. And, you know, that support back at home gets neglected. And, you know, I always say if it wasn't for my wife and, and her support, NetStock would not exist because mm. you need that backup. You can't do it all by yourself. But you can't expect someone to, to do that, be that backup, be that rock in your life for 12 years straight without getting anything back. And I think yeah. for me, that's where work-life balance really, really uh, makes a difference. So spend time, spending time with family and, and you know, uh, my wife and so on is, is really, really important. And we do it in, in different ways. We both work from home and, you know, we will get together and have a coffee, you know, in the, in the, in the dining room for 20 minutes and just talk about our day and what's going on and, and so on. And then re meet each other sometime at lunch and, and so on. And that really helps, even if it's only in small doses, but it's very easy to neglect the people back at home because we, we really think that business is everything. And, you know, for me, the, one of the biggest realizations I've had, you know, a, a few years ago is that, I am not my job. If the job gets criticized, it's not me that's getting criticized. And that's mm. a very tough thing to do. And I think everyone, you know, you don't have to be, you know, a founder of a business uh, for that to be true. I think anyone who, who, who does a job and, and take pro takes pride in their job and they, and they really want to do it well, you have to realize that sometimes things happen and, you know, yes, you are just a human being and you can make a mistake. And that's okay. So to, to just get yourself out of that mindset that criticizing the action is not the same as criticizing the person. Yeah. Um, I think that is hugely important. A lot of good stuff there, Barry and Lynn. Greg, I'm going to share a couple of comments here in a second. But before I do that, as, as a, also a fellow founder, uh, an organizational leader, uh, someone has been charged with leading uh, you know, workforces, what are some things that come to your mind when it, when it comes to protecting that work-life balance? I think first you have to define what everyone means by balance because it's not 50, 50. It's sure. It certainly is not. It, I mean, we had this discussion when I, when I founded Blue Ridge, we had this discussion when I was a CEO at Curo, we've had this discussion multiple times that balance usually means closer to 70% business, 30% personal and 30% of that 30% is also going to be infiltrated by business, right? I mean, what Barry did is highly exceptional in putting his, his phone away. It was funny because Barry, that was one of the questions I was going to ask was how many emails did you do on vacation? So I'm very happy for and proud of you for doing that. Um, yeah, that's good. That's great. 
So you have to, and you have to understand what other people's tolerance level is, right? And now, you know, this is the old, how are you going to keep them down on the farm now that they've seen Perry? That's a song. <laughs> now that people have seen that they can work from home and not right. have to endure a commute and spend more time with their significant other at home, you know, throughout the day, which is so rewarding, by the way, isn't it? I mean, now that they've seen that, they don't want to go back to the old way. And right. yep. uh, I've run a company much like NetStock that was 100% vertical or vertical, virtual, 100% vertical, uh, very, very tall building, 100% <laughs> virtual. <laughs> and we and we made a special effort to bring everyone in the company. We were a very small company. There was only like 14 of us at very early stage. We brought everybody together at, for lack of a better term, the corporate office one week a month and and you know while nobody wanted to do that at first least of all me because then i had to feed everybody but when nobody did wanted to do that at first they saw the power of getting together but they didn't have to live it every single day it was yes. it was really amazing to see because the in-person dynamics i will always argue till the day that i die that that is so incredibly important. And the things that you're doing, like getting people together for meals is very powerful. You can solve in seconds what would take months. Otherwise, I've watched it happen. So you just have to be as a as a leader, you have to be very intentional about what you're trying to accomplish. And you're what you're not trying to accomplish is for everyone to work in an office. What you're trying to accomplish is outcomes. Yes. However, your the culture of your organization produces those outcomes. You have to facilitate that. Yep. All right. Absolutely. So what I want to do, I want to share a couple of quick comments, and then we're going to be getting into defining and making sure folks know what rent net stock does because you got you've got to have the right technologies, right? And and that can be a unique organization by organization type of uh, selection process. But really quick, Bella is is tuned in via LinkedIn from the UAE. Great to have you here with us, Bella. Thanks so much. Let us know what you're thinking of these conversations around work-life balance. Debrion, mm -hmm. if I got the name wrong, let me know. We try to get everybody's name right. He says, we are seeing a lot of burnout from our Air Force planners as well. The military is struggling. Mm -hmm. You know, the maintainers, talk about folks that don't get enough recognition. The maintenance teams and pros, both in the military and in on the private sector out in industry, you know, they have a very underappreciated job. Uh, but thank you for tuning in and We've got to take action, right? Prem Singh tuned in from India via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. Let us know what you're thinking. I want to arrive here. So if you, I'm going to offer up Julia's question here, Lynn and Barry. And if you can just give a, is there anything that comes to mind for a quick answer? And then we're going to get into making sure folks understand what NetStock does. Lynn, when it comes to how you're measuring employees' expectations, their needs, what they want, their preferences, anything comes come to mind? Absolutely. It says there's such as a survey. An employee survey is absolutely critical. And yeah. uh, we are due for one. So I'm pushing to have that done. <laughs> make a note. If you need one. to pause for a minute and make a note to yourself, go ahead. It's okay. Try. I've got the note, but it's absolutely critical. And then the next, even more critical, is following up after the survey with those things that you know you need to be looking at. Wonderful. And Barry, any quick comment here? Yeah, agreed. There's, there's no good taking a survey and then sharing it with five board members and, and it stays there right if right. you don't share share the results back with the people and then you know let's find ways to to improve and that's take action and that's the critical part yeah well said 
Well said. And Holy, a great question, man. You, you, you bring some of the best questions to the live stream. And Debrion, thank you. Man, it feels good to get a names uh, names right. And by the way, I love that. That's an enthusiastic. You got it right. By the way, yes, I love right. it. Okay, so as we we're coming down, not exactly the home stretch yet. We got a couple more twists and turns. And Barry, uh, what I want to pose to you uh, is let's make sure a lot of folks are familiar with NetStock, right? Y'all been on quite a journey, but tell mm -hmm. us more. Give us an in a nutshell version of what the company does. Sure. You know, we as founders came together in 2010. We have worked together previously and we have created inventory optimization software, but more on the enterprise level. You know, you're talking about $500,000 for an implementation, a million dollars and, and that kind of thing. But when we came back together in 2010, we realized that there literally are thousands and thousands of SMBs and mid-market companies who have the exact same problem that those big enterprises have. The issue is if someone has a million dollars of inventory in a warehouse, you can't sell them a $500,000 piece of software. It's just not, it's not viable. So these guys were sitting in, 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 in a, in a, out in the cold why, while the big companies were very fast um, becoming data-driven companies. So they have all of this data, they employ a thousand data analysts and you know Amazon is just steamrolling everyone and Walmart is doing the same and so on. And so, you know, we, we really wanted to help the smaller guys out there to also have access to, to good planning uh, and, and replenishment software. And at the time, you know, uh, three things kind of came together and that was software as a service became a, a viable business model. People were okay sending their data into the cloud, um, you know, which back in those days was, was still very new. Um, but it was getting better. And also, you know, the web became a platform where you could deliver software for people to use on a daily basis. And that's really where, where NetStock was born. Um, and our mission since then has always been to empower and, and arm the up and coming companies with the, the, the tools and the, and, and the, the know-how to also compete in the market. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in the world where there's only Amazon and Walmart and, and maybe Target. I want a, I want a rich cultural uh, a culture of rich diversity in terms of, of suppliers and retailers and, and all that. And that really is our mission to, to help these people. So we do demand planning, we've got replenishment, and we also help on the, on the supply side by measuring supply performance and understanding the risks and how much you should carry and where you should do it and when you should order your inventory so that's really our our mission is, Love is it. to do that barry you're helping to power democratization uh, across the industry yes. and giving folks lots of choices and that's one of our big we're big proponents of that here at supply chain now so much so that greg even coined an, an acronym that uh, he can say now he can say for later but greg when you hear barry's story there and and the very purpose-driven mission that, that he and the NetStock team are on, what comes to your mind? I think about how critical that is. I mean, if the pandemic has taught us anything is if you can't get that one washer from that one tiny company running out of their garage, you still can't build your product, right? Yes. So yes. so right. I, I think this, this level of democratization is really, really unbelievably important and really hard to reach for. I mean, it takes... You know, it takes a special business model as well as a special uh, kind of an appified product that makes it simple enough for people who may have 
they may be chief supply chain officer, CEO, head chef and bottle washer at their company. And, you know, they've got seconds to spend on planning their their supply chain. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, it's it's no small task. It's actually more complicated than building something that gets customized at a at an enterprise size company. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's super powerful. And and uh, somebody here was saying, you know, SMB and mid markets are critical. They absolutely are, because that's what fuels the supply chain for even the largest of companies. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Great to have you back with us, Michael. Hope this finds you well, my friend. Yep. Hey, really quick, Lynn. I love that NetStock has has such an incredible leader like you in a role for talent onboarding and culture. I think that right. is that's illustrative of what we're after and what business leaders should be doing as part of our earlier part of our conversation. Your quick comment on on you know how uh, refreshing it is, how how uh, fulfilling it is to be in your role at NetStock. Oh, it's actually so much fun. I can't even tell you. When I first got the job, I was trying to explain to my husband and I said, you know, Julie on the love boat, how she's the cruise con cruise director. That's kind of what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm looking for all the fun things to do. But it's 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 evolved from there. And uh, besides trying to look for fun things to do with our employees, uh, it, it's also just being there and caring about them and talking to them and listening to them and understanding what their needs are and, and where they're happy and, and sometimes maybe where they're not. I yeah. love it. The love boat. Yeah, it's good to see. <laughs> it's good when Gen Xers inadvertently reveal themselves, isn't it? Right. <laughs> I love it. Nice, Greg. We're, we're out there, people. That's we right. Are. Don't skip us. We are a generation. That's right. We're still making it happen, too. Hey, really quick, Lynn. Ermias from Ethiopia, welcome to the show via LinkedIn. Has a great quick question and, and would love to get your quick take here before we move on to this, the uh, resource that y'all brought to the table. How do you increase employee engagement on surveys? Any quick response there, Lynn? Quickly, I think the, the questions that you ask are important, number one. But again, the most important thing is the follow through and the follow up with where you have employees that are not engaged. You've got to follow up. Well, you've got to let them know that there will be action from that. And payday Absolutely. is a great day to do a survey. Ah, that's a great tip. Great tip. And Julia People agrees. People are never more engaged than yes. on payday. Ermi, it's a great question. And Julia, you're aligned with the rest of us. Kindred spirits here following up is critical. Okay. So back to Barry. Uh, so Barry, we have got a neat resource that y'all have uh, brought to the table here today. And I was checking it out earlier. Um, it's an ebook focused on best practices to optimize your supply chain. And we're going to drop the comment or the uh, link in the comments so folks can can download that just one click away. But before I before we do, and I would love to get you to speak to, you know, why folks should check this out. But if I could offer a quick little snippet, um, as I was looking at this this morning, you know, Greg, that the, the term ebook has so many different definitions and unfortunately, so many organizations take like the straight sales side, right? They don't give put any content in. It's straight sales. Barry, Lynn, and the NetStock team, this is really a full ebook full of information that's going to help you regardless if you you know do business with NetStock or not. So Barry, appreciate y'all's approach there. Why should folks check this ebook out though, Barry? Firstly, apologies to Greg for the word, um, you know, best practice in the title. So. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> nice, I'll, Barry. I'll I love to, it. I'll have to tell you about my philosophy on that, Barry. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, so you know, when I said earlier, it's our mission to help these these SMBs and even mid market companies. It, you know, it, it's reflected in this book. We really want to help, and it's not about you know you, we want to sell something or you know there's there's only one way of doing things. So it's important to um, for us to to help educate the market because the more people get educated and the, and the better they get on that maturity curve on their supply chain, um, you know, the better everyone is, is off. So, you know, in this book, you will, you will find, um, you know, things like how to review your suppliers and why that's important and how to measure the performance of your suppliers. And then looking at, you know, what should you measure? What, are, what key performance indicators should you measure in your, in your inventory? There's probably, you know, a hundred things that you can measure, but they're not all equal. Some, some things to measure are far more important than other things. And Amen. so in this book, we, we will give you our take on what we think is, is the mo are the most important things to, to actually measure. And then, you know, so, something very simple that a lot of companies don't do is classify their inventory. So, you know, without understanding what, which items are important and which are not important, you tend to try and give all of your attention, your energy and your dollars to everything. And that doesn't work. So, you know, very simple 80-20 rule. Put, you know, 80% 80 of your dollars into 20% of the items and you will get a massive um, uh, in, increase in, in your performance in your inventory. Put your, your limited amount of attention that you can give. Um, you know, we've, we've spoken about those guys sitting there planning who are overworked. If you only have a small amount of, of, of attention to give, give it to this 20% of the items that are going to make 80% of the difference. Right. And so classification of your inventory is, is, is vitally important. So, you know, those kind of best practices are what this book is all about. If you want to learn more about how to, how, how we look at how to do those things, um, it will be a great resource for you. Wonderful. Uh, you know, the legendary Italian economist, Alfredo Pareto, would be very Pareto. proud of your wow. commentary there. So <laughs> I'll check out he's the Pareto. A, he's a hero, yes, he's alive and well, I tell you, throughout the industry. Okay, really quick, I want to say hello again to uh, Shashi tuned in. You know, Shashi was with us earlier a couple of times, Greg, in live streams. Mm -hmm. Great to have you back with us. And Michael had a follow-up point here. You know, small and medium-sized businesses teach you a lot. Uh, he worked for a small business in the beginning of his career. And it taught him a ton. Uh, and I agree with you, Michael. I've, I've had a good fortune of working for a variety of, of uh, size companies from Cisco, the, you know, the big food uh, provider that taught me so much about uh, customer experience to a lot of family run you know, manufacturing and other types of companies and uh, lots of learnings all along the way. OK, so uh, as we start to wrap, Greg, I don't know about you, man. But I've really enjoyed the conversation with Lynn and Barry. I knew it was going to be good based on our pre-show conversations, but yeah. I think they have surpassed and jumped over that bar, Greg. What, your take? Yeah, super refreshing. I mean, good to see a company and people focus on people and on small business, right? Which is the leverage point of all business. So yeah, it's been, it's good. It harkens back to the old days and I kind of dig that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, folks, uh, check out, don't take Greg's word for it or my word for it. Check out the ebook. There's lots of information 
Uh, and it also, you can, you can not required and get in touch and compare notes with net stock to see if they're a good fit for what you're trying to do. Also uh, separate from that, I love that they're doing, you know, they're practicing what they preach with their own business. And that is so powerful right. and authentic. Okay. So we want to make sure folks know how to connect with you other than the ebook. And Lynn, I want to start with you, but I got a two part question for you. So Lynn, tell us how we can connect and learn more, but throw down the gauntlet, especially when it comes to talent management and culture, challenge business leaders to take action with something. Lynn, what would that be? Challenging them to take, well, you know, I think for me, it's care. It's caring about your people. It's being there for your people. I feel it with my leadership, with the Berries and 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 all of our, our founders and our CEO. Um, they truly, truly care. And it, if you don't do a whole lot of things right, but you care about your employees, you, you're, you're going to get it right. You're going to mm. be okay. You're going to be able to, to get there. Um, we're very, very transparent with our employees. We are honest and upfront and they, our employees love it for, love mm. us for it. So that's wow. what I think. I love it. Get I love it. Me through LinkedIn. <laughs> I love it for, I love y'all for it. Uh, Lynn and Barry, really, it's a very refreshing conversation. We've had it here today. Mm -hmm. And as Lynn suggests, connect with her on LinkedIn. That's in the show notes. The ebook is in the show notes. Barry, how can folks connect with Barry and learn more about NetStock? Um, absolutely. Also, LinkedIn is, is probably the easiest way to connect, but also look up NetStock on, on LinkedIn and Twitter and you know other social media platforms. Um, our marketing team is always sharing great content on there and uh, to just keep in touch with what's, what, is, what is currently happening in, in supply chain inventory management. Love it. Really have enjoyed the conversation here today. I wish we had another hour or two. Uh, there's so much more to both of your stories and the NetStock story, but we're going to keep our finger on the pulse and see where y'all go from here. Big thanks, uh, Barry Kukuk, president and co-founder with NetStock and his colleague, Lynn Barnes, director of talent onboarding and culture. Thank you to you both. Thank you. Guys. Thank you. That was a neat conversation. And Lynn, you know, Barry, uh, Greg, Barry, Greg, Greg White, Gregory S. White, yeah. you know, those folks are just as approachable and down to earth in the pre-show and the non-live show as they are over the last hour. And, and no wonder, I bet folks love to work with and for Lynn and Barry, huh? Yeah, I mean, culture starts at the top. Unquestionably, the culture of a company starts at the top. Barry, as a founder, and I'm sure his co-founders and CEO, are key to defining that culture. And the, to me, one of the defining points of that culture is is the fact that they have Lynn. So, you know, that they recognize all the, you know, the value of their people. And um, it's really interesting, you know, when a technology company or service provider shares that with the industry that they serve, because often they're, uh, you know, if they are a great example, yep. they can communicate that with every interaction with their customers, right? And customers will start to adopt that. And expect that in their own organization so it, it can be really really powerful love it sharing a couple yeah. you had one i could tell you got one more powerpoint to make i i just think you know i think a lot of what they shared here is applicable regardless of whether you're in supply chain or you're not whether you're a technology provider or a practitioner right any company can learn 
from this. And look, times are going to get hard, right? I mean, with everything that's going on in the, in the economy, the where employees or you know c- candidates could be opportunistic and some took advantage right companies are about to be closer to being in control of the that relationship and could take advantage but none of that is productive right right um, and as a founder i know i know this is part of the reason that barry works 12 15 hours a day you feel such an incredible responsibility to the people that work for you i mean you are literally you are literally providing them with a livelihood that supports their families. And that is a huge burden. And I don't mean that as a negative, negative thing, but it is a huge burden. You go to bed with it on your head and your heart every single night. And, and it's clear that he takes that seriously and that their team must take that seriously. So I think that's hugely powerful. And that, by the way, when you're looking for companies to work for as a candidate, you want someone who wants to own that burden that, yes, sees you as a critical part of their work family and want, you know, wants to own your well-being. See, I knew there was more toothpaste in that toothpaste tube. I knew there's a lot more, <laughs> more excellent points, Greg, really powerful perspective, been there, done that perspective. And I think that's a very accurate read and some real pressure that folks have, whether they're founders or executives, leaders in the company, you know, we, we've got to protect the whole organization. So yeah. well said, Greg, I appreciate you sharing a couple of final comments here. Look at this. Shelly was employee one in a small business that grew over to $60 million. Shelly, figure just, out what that company is. Wow. Yes. That's pretty impressive. I bet there's a story there. Uh, as I mentioned, we did drop the link to the ebook. Y'all check that out in the comments. Uh, it's really easy. Uh, we've got some great questions from Julia and Shashi. If the NetStock team is still with us, that'd be great if they want to go back and compare notes there. Uzman, great to see you again via LinkedIn. Uh, let us know where you're tuned in from here today. Michael Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Always reminds me of a happy Gilmore when I hear that quote for some reason. <laughs> yeah, there's a great quote. I won't share it here, but uh, it's a great happy Gilmore quote. Shelly also agrees with you. Julia says there are a few companies focusing on culture and employee satisfaction. Sadly, I think it we're evolving. I really think. I, yeah, I think, I think the tide is turning for sure, right? I think that's one of the silver linings of the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that's taught us all. We've got to take care. And for those that missed the boat, those business leaders that missed the boat, we got to take care of the workforce in a much different way. Shashi agrees with Greg. You touched a very important, important point. Awesome to hear your thoughts. Appreciate that. Okay. So folks, I uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation today as much as Greg and I and the whole team did. Big thanks to Catherine, Amanda, and Chantel on our side help make production happen. Of course, Clay, uh, AKA Diesel made an appearance here today. Love what he does. Really enjoyed Lynn and Barry's perspective and really their, their whole team as they uh, help facilitate today's conversation. They definitely, it's deeds, not words, and they practice what they preach. And those are some of our favorite guests. So y'all check out the NetStock team. Make sure you connect with Lynn and Barry. But whatever you do, and Jonathan, great point here. Be keen on relationships uh, and then culturally be driven. I may have gotten that right, but, but the the relationships part, Jonathan, right? Absolutely. That's what makes the world go round more so today than ever before. But folks, whatever you do and Jonathan, great to have you throughout the conversation here today. It's all about action, right? It's it's all about taking action. Uh, So on behalf of the entire supply chain, our team, Greg and Scott Luton here, Hey, we're challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here 
on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.